there, and welcome to The Month in VC, our regular podcast on all things African venture capital. Each month, we catch you up on all the latest funds and investments news, introduce you to investors, and discuss key themes and trends for the industry. We do that alongside key partners who lend their expertise to help us better understand the growing African venture capital space. Many thanks to Catapult Africa, Kalon Venture Partners, and Halai Sani Capital for making this series possible. We hope you enjoyed this latest episode. And as ever, if you have any suggestions for topics or want to get involved yourself, please don't hesitate to reach out. Listening to this podcast series, you'll be hearing the words current economic climate quite a bit, with the African tech space starting to feel the pinch from the global capital shortage. Since the last edition of this podcast series, we've crunched the numbers for funding in Q1 and it makes pretty grim reading. Only 87 startups secured funding, less than half the number that did so in the first quarter of 2022. Those startups took in a combined 650 million US dollars, down from 1.5 billion in the same period last year. Given that last year's Q1 ended up accounting for around half the startups and half the total investment for the year, if the current trend holds, then year-on-year funding looks set to decline by more than 50%. Challenging times. The last month has been a little more positive, however, with South African startups leading the way. Fintech startup Peach Payments raised $31 million in Series A funding, while earned wage access platform PayMeNow secured a $14 million debt facility. Mahola, a viral consumer rewards app, raised $1.5 million in seed funding, and agritech venture FarmTrace also banked an undisclosed amount of investment. The DRC-based Altec Group raised $18 million in debt financing and grants, while a busy month in Nigeria saw rounds for mobility startup Shutlers, anti-counterfeiting service Checkit, logistics venture Fez Delivery, and prop tech startup House Africa. The Rwanda-based Payday announced a $3 million seed round to power its expansion into Europe and North America, and Kenya's Tibu Health raised an undisclosed amount of pre-Series A funding. For all we keep hearing about a cash crunch, more funds continue to be announced on the continent. All three of our partners for this podcast are actively fundraising. More on that later. And a batch of new sources of capital were announced in the last month. Capria Ventures, a specialist firm investing in early growth global south startups, marked the first close of its $100 million fund, while Goodwell Investments and Oxfam Novib announced a $22 million fund that will address the missing middle in East Africa by investing in early stage growth startups. Meanwhile, the Egypt-based VC firm Camel Ventures launched a $16 million fund focused on the country's fintech startup ecosystem, and DFS Lab announced the launch of the DFS Lab Stellar Africa Fund 1, which will back high-potential teams aiming to transform the digital payments landscape and beyond by building on the Stellar network. In addition, the Africa Business Angel Network launched two thematic angel networks aimed at supporting startups that are building solutions in the smart cities and digital trade sectors. So reasons for optimism amidst the general gloom. In each episode of The Month in VC, we zero in on one individual Africa-focused investor to learn about their company, their background, and their investment ethos. This month, we caught up with Brett Kamile of Halai Sunny Capital, a private equity and venture capital fund manager focused on unlocking unique high-growth investment opportunities in South Africa and Africa. Originally from Pretoria, Brett is now based out of Selenbosch. He trained and worked as a chartered accountant, moving into the banking sector. Where I started to then learn about 
you know, the real things behind M&A, how to look at companies, how to value companies and understanding their cash flows. And I think the reason that I studied CA in the first place, because um, I consider myself an, an emancipated accountant in that I really don't like accounting, but I understand that it's critical to understand your finances in the business and or, or how your finances work. Because um, I'd heard about these businesses who were so successful, they traded themselves into bankruptcy and that didn't make sense to me. And so once I got that financial understanding, um, I moved towards small business finance and did so initially in the banking. But as you know, banks aren't really excited about funding small businesses, despite what they say. Um, and eventually got an opportunity to set up a, a corporate venture fund um, under a large investment firm. And from there, went, uh, went out on my own and got into the venture capital sector at large and have been been a part of and building um, venture capital in South Africa for a while. His first operation in the South African VC space was Angel Hub Ventures, which began life as an angel group teaching high net worth individuals how to approach VC. After a while, two of the family officers we were working with said, let's turn this into a VC fund. Um, and I set up Angel Hub Ventures um, with, with two family officers. Um, at that point, then the team started to grow and we've had to, you know some others who then uh, worked with us as Angel Hub, which um, for quite a while, despite being quite small, was one of the most active venture funds on the continent. Um, and we did a lot of interesting investments, made some mistakes, did some early stuff that didn't work out, did some later stage things that, uh, that did. Um, and after a while, we then realized that the market, the biggest problem in the market uh, that we could find is people could find a bit of initial money, but the moment you started to grow and you needed your you know, your five, um, kind of the $5 million round. Uh, so anywhere from, you know, 20 to 50 million rand, those sort of checks weren't available. So he started Haliasani Capital, partnering with more family offices to build a bigger venture fund and start funding ventures through their next stage of growth and expansion into other markets. Brett says it has been an epic adventure. So the Haliasani Growth Fund, which uh, was our, our previous fund and, um, we did, so we're still managing that fund. We've got uh, eight investments. We had about uh, 355 million rand that was uh, under investment. And I would give it in dollars, but it fluctuates quite significantly. Um, so, you know, <laughs> anywhere from uh, sort of 17 to, to 20 million dollars um, on, a, on a given day. Um, and that broadly went into technology, so technology-enabled businesses, high-growth uh, tech-enabled businesses. Um, we ended up with quite a big focus in the educational sector into businesses like uh, Snaplify um, and D6, uh, which are, are all significant education providers on the uh, – or education technology providers on the continent. Um, and then we also um, went into you know, different things like communication platforms and um, so businesses like WiseTalk and uh, GoMetro, who's in the transport space. Um, so that fund is fully invested. Um, those businesses are growing and doing really well um, and actually did really well through COVID, um, funnily enough. Um, and we're now busy raising our third fund, which is called the, the Laisani uh, Venture Fund 2. That fund is getting quite close to its first close. Brett says most of his firm's portfolio companies are South Africa-based, but looking further afield. So most of them have a South African, or they have a South African link. 
So that's where our network and and basically where we think we've got a, a bit of an unfair advantage um, in the South African space because we've got really good networks. So our deal flow is strong here. And so we tend to invest into businesses starting out of South Africa and then growing into the rest of the world. Most of the businesses have, uh, that we've invested into actually do have an international footprint. Um, some of them have more than 50% of their revenue already coming um, you know, as dollar-based, as a business like Student and um, operates in Mexico, in Turkey, in Dubai. Um, and, you know, it, it, like I said, the bulk of its uh, revenue is actually outside of uh, South Africa. The education businesses are all growing into the rest of Africa and they have clients in the rest of the world. Um, and a business like Go Metro um, operates significantly in the UK um, and has customers and has done jobs in cities, you know, in over 50 cities around the world. So they all have global ambitions and many of them have global footprints already. Halaya Sani primarily relies on family offices as LPs, but is also growing its institutional side, having worked with Standard Bank on a previous fund. It is also an active partner to its portfolio companies. You know, everybody would love to be able to uh, just provide money and never have to do much more, but we also can't help ourselves. So we definitely do whatever we can to ensure that the business gets the, as much success as possible. It's in everybody's interest to do so. And that means everything from opening all of our network that we can, both to get them customers, to get them further funding, to provide the right kind of expertise where we can do so. Um, you know, if, um, for example, a lot of companies as they start to move uh, across borders or are trying to set up international structures, um, we've got a fair amount of experience in that now. So, you know, we also bring in the attorneys that we work with. We bring in, um, you know, other entrepreneurs who've done the same sort of thing to get that advice. We provide a peer network amongst our entrepreneurs. So the CEOs of the various businesses are all in a forum together to ensure that they're able to connect, you know, discuss uh, the right, uh, discuss topics and, and share their experiences uh, with each other. Um, and then one of the key things for us is also just being able to share our operator and our experiences as investors because we've, we've been doing this for a long time and we're able to assist companies in, in certainly avoiding the potholes that, that we've been through previously or that, that we can see and make sure that we give them you know, enough of a, a broad view on things to give them uh, both an educated guess um, and give them the kind of support and experience that they can build both a, a governance and a, a, you know, the structure of a business that ensures there's some sort of long-term plan and that the business that they build is one that's going to give them the best return. So it's, it, you know, it, and it differs significantly from company to company what they need because every entrepreneur and every management team is differently experienced. But for us, it's about understanding the needs of that individual company and then seeing how we can best assist and what networks we can call on uh, to assist them in their, in their journey. Given the current economic climate, that phrase again, Brett says there's a balance to be found between ensuring Halayusani continues to deploy capital over the next year or so, while also protecting the interests of itself and its LPs. It's a combination of safe and sensible, but but it's really about it's really about risk appropriate. So, you know, a, a VC is is certainly um, riskier than than other you know than other sectors, given the the stage that you're dealing with high growth with high growth businesses, which means a little more volatility. But, you know, for us, it's about finding 
the teams that we believe are going to make a real difference, both you know, on the continent and and in the world. You know? And so, um, and we believe that that the, the African continent can constantly keep giving birth to these kind of businesses. We think that there's something really special here, and that's why we operate here. So for us, the next uh, the next twelve months involves reaching our first close of the fund, which. Um, in, in our case, means that the first allocation of funds that we have is then available to be invested. Um, and we've got a couple of companies that we're lining up and that we're investigating to be able to deploy those funds and investment as soon as they are ready. Um, and, and those are businesses that, that, you know, we, we work with these businesses for a while in terms of both doing a due diligence on them and making sure we understand them best. Um, and then, by the end of the year, we should have closed our, our first uh, first fund, or so reach first close on our fund, and then being able to invest into at least two uh, of those businesses as we go. Brett, there on how Halayasani Capital goes about its work and its plans going forward. The firm is in active fundraising mode, as indeed are our other partners, Catapult Africa and Kalon Venture Partners. A good time then to find out more about how VC firms go about raising their funds. Who do you target? How do deals get done? How do GPs and LPs work together over the lifespan of a fund? We spoke to Brett, Philip Gastatura from Catapult and Clive Butko from Kalon to find out more about raising a VC fund. One key takeaway... It isn't that different to how a startup goes about raising capital. The process of, of fundraising, I think it's, it's it's really not dissimilar from any company fundraising. I think we often we often explain to to companies who come to us to raise like we really do understand what it feels like because you know especially at the moment while we're busy fundraising we'll be having a meeting with an entrepreneur talking about their possibility and you know either either going further down the road with them or rejecting them and then in the next meeting we're going and we're pitching ourselves and our fund in the same way there is one key difference between a startup that has raised capital and a vc fund philip says the only difference I'll put is a startup along this way cannot can pivot, uh, whereas for a fund, uh, not many of the LPs want you to pivot. They they like to stick with a thesis, and so that's now for the job of the GP to then manage that portfolio within, so that it does in the end return and stick to the investment thesis that it was uh, that it had sold to the uh, investors. VC funds also take a bit longer to raise than a startup round, often taking a couple of years. It starts with targeting particular prospective LPs. The way we go about it is firstly identifying everybody that that we're aware of who has a stated mandate to do so. Um, so you know we don't really chase after those who um, who have specifically excluded uh, VC from their from their mandates. So we look at um, first of all our networks. We go to um, all the all the family offices that, that we believe and that our investors, our current investors think may be interested. Um, we have in the past connected to fundraisers, but I must say I've never really seen any success out of that. It does come down to actually just hitting the streets, getting on a plane, going to go and see people, pitching, 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 
um, and, and, you know, following up consistently, um, it's an exhausting process. Um, but you know, one which is essential, um, in our space. And there are certainly those who've been fortunate in that one day they arrive and somebody says, you know, I happen to have a lot of money. Do you want to, uh, do you want to invest it? I have heard stories like that, but for the rest of us, um, it's a matter of, of years of building track record, um, and then finding investors that you believe have a, an aligned vision with, with what you want to do. And I think that's also one of the most critical factors. Philip says key to fundraising is identifying the best customers for your product. A fund is a product uh, that you are looking to provide a solution for someone who's out in the market. And so we're looking, we're targeting those whose strategy fits within what our product or investment thesis is. And for now, ours is, covers Africa, food, climate, and early stage. So we, uh, the typical pool that we fundraise from are DFIs, um, fund funds, and family offices. And now more so with a focus on African institutional uh, investors, those based on the continent, who are, would be pension funds, pension schemes, and corporate, uh, VC, uh, corporate VC or corporate funds. And for those who are outside the continent, uh, they're typically those who are looking at exposure to Africa, and our fund provides that exposure. And so that's how we target um, those who would be uh, our potential LPs. Clive takes us through the key things to consider when it comes to selecting LPs. Venture capitalists typically target potential limited partners who fit certain criteria that align with their investment strategy and objectives. Some of the factors that VCs will consider when deciding on who to target as LPs include, number one is the investment strategy. Venture capitalists will typically target LPs who are interested in investing in the same areas as their investment strategy. For example, a venture capital firm that focuses on early stage technology startups may target LPs who are interested in investing in the technology sector. Secondly is the investment size. Venture capitalists will target LPs who are able to invest the minimum amount required by their fund. Different venture capital funds have different minimum investment sizes, which can range from hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars. Geographical focus. Venture capitalists will target local partners who are interested in investment in a specific geographic region, such as a particular country or continent. Fourthly is industry expertise. VCs will target LPs who have expertise or experience in the industries they invest in, such as technology, healthcare, or energy. Relationship and reputations. Uh, venture capitalists may also target LPs who have a pre-existing relationship with or who have a, a reputation in the industry. And lastly, investor profile. VCs target LPs who have a particular investor profile, such as family office, high network individuals, institutional investments, or endowments. I mean, ultimately, venture capitalists will target LPs who they believe can provide the capital they need to fund the portfolio companies and to share their investment objectives and philosophy. It is important to be selective about who invests in your fund, however, for a variety of reasons. I've watched transactions happen where people have taken money from somebody who has actually a very different alignment, a different timeline to what they expect, or a different set of ethical values. And those things have always bombed out horribly. So it's just not worth it. You know, it's like saying, I'm lonely, therefore I will, you know, I'll, t I'll marry the first person I meet. It's it absolutely would be an insane uh, sentence uh, to, to utter. Yet um, I think people often do that. They will, you know, they'll sort of um, brush aside their concerns in terms of taking funding. Whereas for us, there are, there are many places that we won't take funding. 
And it's not just about necessarily a, a kind of ethical or, or moral thing. It may just be a misalignment of, um, of you know, of expectations. So somebody who, um, you know, if you're investing into a venture capital fund, you need to know that your money could be tied up for 10 years. So if you're expecting a return in the first year or two, a venture capital fund is not the place to go. And if you invest your money and then in a year or two start demanding it out, that's going to cause a massive amount of tension. Um, and it's, uh, it actually is the kind of thing that, you know, breaks relationships. So for us, it's really important to, uh, uh, to make sure that our investors understand what we're trying to achieve, the risk profile that we're, uh, that we're looking at, how we build a portfolio and how we, you know, the length of time that, that their money will be invested. So, you know, venture capital portfolios don't typically pay dividends because all the money in, is invested into the companies for growth. So, you know, if somebody comes along and they want to, they're expecting a dividend in the first year or two, they may have money available, but you will make your life hell if you take that funding because it's going to be a fight the whole time and eventually you'll be trying to find ways to buy that person out of the fund and that's going to be destructive. So you need to be incredibly picky. Clive agrees there are scenarios where VC firms should decline to work with certain LPs. A venture capital company needs to be selective on who they raise capital from, similarly to a startup raising from a venture capital company. There needs to be a cultural fit and trust between the respective parties. No venture capital company should take capital from an LP off if they're going to get micromanaged or any such dysfunctional behaviour. Often, potential LPs without exposure to Africa will need some convincing. I liken it to if someone asks me to invest in Guatemala, I'd find it very tough because I don't know that market. I'll need to get to know it. And so those that don't have exposure um, do take a bit of war, uh, warming up to the idea. I think if for those that don't, um, the key question is, are they looking for a certain exposure? Maybe that would be climate. They might say they've done climate, say, in Europe or in uh, Latin America, and they're looking at how they still get climate exposure, but in a certain geography. So you're really looking around the thesis. So again, back to what I mentioned in terms of the understanding their research, uh, and so a number of tools uh, and platforms that exist on, on the internet that provide this uh, information. And also knowing those within those organizations, because at the end of it, it's people. Uh, and people have, one, their uh, expertise or their experiences through their careers. So you get a research on them. And it's through these kind of relationships that you they warm up to that. But those that are not already exposed would take a bit more time than those who already do have exposure to um, to Africa. And then the, the question then becomes, what's your additionality? Uh, I'm seeing a hundred other funds, uh, fund managers. What's the difference with uh, with you? What kind of reporting gets put in place between a GP and an LP? It's quite extensive. There's, um, it, it, it does depend on how institutionalized your your LP and your your LPs are. So on the, on the one extreme, you may have a, a family office who some of them may be, if, if they're less formal, they may be less relaxed. They're actually, you know, we've got, we've got one LP who just wants to know that, that <clears throat> are the companies doing well? And if they're not doing well, then they need to shake their boots. But on the other hand, we've got institutional uh, investors who um, want to ensure that they get, you know, there's quarterly reporting that comes to them on the performance of each portfolio company, checking how we're valuing the companies. Um, so there's a there's a formal process that happens. And so all of our investors, of course, get the same level of reporting. And it's reasonably detailed because ultimately we're trying to ensure two things. Number one, that they're informed 
um, and that they're confident about how we're managing those assets. And if they're confident enough, they will want to follow on and put money into the next fund as well. So that's an important part for us. And the other part of that reporting is so that when they see it's possible to add value to those companies, they can do so too. So if they see, well, you know, this company has just expanded into that sector and they've got a client base that they could provide or someone they could introduce them to. It's also part of our role to facilitate those introductions. Clive takes us through what many LPs will require from a GP. The requirements for reporting from a venture capitalist to the LPs can vary depending on the VC firm and the LP expectations. But typically they include things like investment performance, the VC must provide information on the performance of the portfolio companies, including financial metrics like revenue growth, burn rates, and profitability. Second is like the market insights. The VC must provide insights into the industry and market trends that can impact their portfolio company, such as changes in customer behavior or competitor landscape. Thirdly is deal flow. You know, the VCs must provide updates on the new investment opportunities they are considering, including the companies they are meeting with and the criteria they are using to evaluate potential investments. And lastly is communication. The VCs must keep their LPs informed of any significant developments or changes in their portfolio companies, as well as any other relevant news or updates that could impact their LP investments. Now is both a good and a bad time to be raising an Africa venture fund, as VC in Africa becomes more recognised as an asset class, but it's also subject to the global capital shortage. At the moment, venture capital in Africa you know, for the first time in a long time has become more recognized and you've had a lot more people starting to take the continent and the opportunity on the continent more seriously. Um, and you've certainly had some of the international VC funds who've started to look at putting branches out here. So it's, it's timeliest in terms of um, people seeing that there's opportunity. And if you see the raising, uh, the volumes that have been happening, you know, over the last while, Africa has been increasing year on year up until the current year. Um, and, and this is where the, you know, the counter then comes in, and that is in an environment where there's just a, a large amount of uncertainty, where you suddenly have negative sentiment um, around all aspects of risk and, uh, and, and a lot of safe assets starting to you know, produce uh, decent returns. You know, when, the, when U.S. Treasury bonds start putting out significant interest rates, um, there's a lot of people who head towards that, which means there's less money available in the riskier asset classes. Um, and as a result, it's you can see it coming through that um, there's definitely less funding available um, within the, the, the broader African landscape. There's a lot less money that has been deployed. So even though it's been um, still a good year in terms of the amounts, um, it's not it's nowhere near if we had drawn last year's you know, trajectory. It's nowhere near where we thought we, we would have been now. Philip says now is certainly a challenging time to raise capital, but that doesn't mean it's impossible. There are still buyers in the market for good fund products that can give, uh, that can one, have an impact and also to make a return. And so, again, sticking to your investment profile, your strategy, your thesis, which is in all sense, your product, and find those who are looking for that. So it's not that everything's gone. They are there, but you just need to do a bit harder work. Um, and also managing the risk because, uh, again, remember, you're looking at currency risk because in Africa, you're investing in 52 countries, across 52 countries where um, currency, we've seen um, a lot of African countries take a hit. Uh, so, so that, but there are uh, some investors that are looking at it. We just need to do a bit more work um, finding them. 
The general drop-off in investment mentioned by the investors there is evident in the data we spoke about earlier, with 2023 looking like it will see a decline in overall African startup funding for the first time in many years. That said, it is positive news that so many VCs are out there actively looking to raise money. It must be remembered that all these things are highly cyclical, and the key now is for startups to ensure that they have the runway they need to survive until better times return. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Month in VC, brought to you by Disrupt Africa in partnership with Catapult Africa, Kalon Venture Partners and Halaya Sani Capital. See you next time. Bye. Bye.